0: Hey everyone, Jeremy L. Jones here, author of Ruins of Empire. So we've got a problem here at Ruins of Empire HQ. After months and months of recording this free podcast novel, producer Sean had what we call a moment of clarity. Maybe it was because I ran out of money to keep his THC, alcohol, and Fritos morphine drip going. Maybe it was just getting to the end of this project and wondering what was next. Who knows? Who knows? We're about to find out. The point is, the second book is about to start, and i need the money to get Sean properly medicated and productive. So right now, you can support this podcast by going to kickstarter.com, looking up Ruins of Empire, and reserving your print copy of Ruins of Empire number two, Templum Veneris. right now. You can get signed hardback or paperback copies of Saturnius Mons and Templum Veneris, or just throw a dollar in to get your name in the acknowledgement section of Templum Veneris. It's a chance to show your support for this little project and a chance for me to get producer Sean drugged up and happily editing this podcast. Trust me, it's better for everyone. You are listening to Ruins of Empire, Saturnius Mons, book one of the Ruins of Empire project a serial podcast novel by Jeremy L. Jones, read by the author and Tyler Murphy. The Story So Far after the destruction of the refineries, the Corporation decided to abandon Titan once and for all. The members of the Human Reconnection Project fled from the flames and the Venganto who chased them across the Lagia Mar, in retaliation to Halifaco's brazen and destructive assault. They arrived at the corporate camp in time to evacuate, but Isra made a last-minute decision. She decided to stay on Titan in one last-ditch effort to save the native society from complete annihilation. Chapter 26 Global Revolution Gave Way to the Global War Global War Led to the Exodus the intense fighting turned Earth into a hell from which there was no escape on land, so people turned to the sky. From the Fall, The Declining Failure of 21st Century Civilization, by Martin Raff. Vego rushed to catch up with Isra and Althea, who were already running toward the shelter of the camp. Behind him, the shuttle's engines whined as they started the liftoff sequence. A few stragglers carrying armloads of expensive-looking equipment dashed for the open cargo bay, but most were safely aboard the shuttle. Vego maneuvered his way through the rushing crowds to Isra. So, do you have a plan, or are we relying on your winning personality? Isra risked a glance behind her. The Vinganto were still fluttering dots over the sea, but getting larger each second. The Marines' armory and equipment storage is on the southwest side of the base camp. It should be strong enough to keep us safe and have some supplies left behind. Vago looked behind him as well and was inspired to run harder. And the plan after that? If we survive, I might have to give personality a try, Aesra confessed. Vago stopped. If we're fixing to do anything, we'll need transportation. I'll go commandeer that hovercraft again and I'll meet you two at the shelter. Vigo turned on his heel and sprinted back toward the platform. He got behind the controls, fired up the machine, and risked one more look over the Le Guillemar. In that short time, the went from specks to flapping figures so close he could almost make out their ghoulish faces. Vigo swore, put the throttle down, and turned back to the camp. He parked the vehicle along the side of the armory and slipped through the door. As soon as he was inside, Althea slammed and braced it with a metal pole about two meters long. Isra turned off the lights, equipment, and anything else that made noise or light. Fago crouched by the window to watch the fireworks. At this distance, the shuttles were nothing more than a series of tail fins, poking up beyond the rows and rows of small shelters. Althea joined him with the electronic binoculars from the hovercraft. Oh, no, she muttered. The Vinganto swarmed the shuttles just as the liftoff engines fired. The tail fins were now illuminated occasionally by bursts of flame as incendiary bombs exploded on the surface. Althea's grip on the binoculars was so tight her knuckles were white. Can they lift off? They'll be fine, said Vago. Those shuttles have a heat shield designed to protect them from reentry. On the bottom, he added in his own mind, where it does no good from winged bastards attacking from above. The roar of the engines shook the shelter and three shuttles started their vertical lift. Most of the Venganto scattered. A few dove close to the ships to fire a few bombs at their hulls. The flames rolled off the side like glowing water. The shuttles aligned themselves over the La Guillemar and, one by one, fired their primary engines. Althea and Vago turned their heads in the blinding flash. A few moments later, all three shuttles became just another point of light in the sky. Althea took a breath for the first time in a couple of minutes. They are away. Vigo crouched down, out of sight from the window. Good for them. We'll give the Vinganto a moment to ransack the camp and see nobody's home. After that, they'll go find themselves someone else to incinerate. Vigo's arm tingled, indicating an alert from the Aerosuit's computer system. He muttered a few curses and touched the side of his ear. What? Cronus's voice came over the comm. I've got a plan. A sort of theology hack. Belief turned inward into a slice for the mind. "'Kronos, this is not the time. We are deep in some heavy shermen yom ke the last thing we need!' A thought fought into the center of Vago's brain and demanded his attention. The shuttles were in the middle of a full burn to reach orbit. Never mind getting a signal out, it should be so loud in that tin can that Kronos would be screaming to be heard over it, but there was no background sound at all. "'Kronos, where are you?' "'Mess hall, I think. Large building. Darted inside to hide from those... things.' Vago and Althea both found themselves at a loss for words, but Isra was quick to fill the gap. This cannot be real. Are you part of some social experiment to see how much stress I can take before I snap and strangle someone with their own fiber-optic wires? Kronos, Vago added, you better have a damn brilliant reason for not being on that ship. I figured it out. We can hack the very civilization, get inside people's heads, bring them what they want, stop the war, save Titan... Althea peeked out of the window. I think I know what shelter he's in, but there's no way to get him without being seen. Vago tried to keep from yelling into the receiver. Kronos, wherever you are, stay put and shut up. Don't talk, don't move, don't even breathe too much. You've got a whole mess of unpleasantness overhead, and the only thing you can do right now is hope they don't find you. Understand? Um, yes, I think. No, you don't because you just failed. Don't move, don't speak, or you're going to die. Do you understand? There was no response. a boy, said Vego. He sat back against the wall. The expressions on Althea and Isra's faces were better than an opinion poll. Althea's hand shook as she made several glances at the door, as if she might run out and try to save the kid. Isra's glare had already sentenced Kronos to a brutal death at the hands of the Venganto. Or her own, if the winged creatures couldn't manage enough cruelty. Vego, Althea, and Isra waited and watched. The Venganto continued to circle the camp. Every swinging door, scrap of paper, or other bit of debris carried by the wind caused one of the monsters to dive and fire one of their exploding balls of flame. After a while, however, they appeared to accept that the camp was deserted. One by one, they flew off in search of more hapless fools to incinerate. Vago could barely breathe. His muscles started to ache from being frozen in position, but still, he didn't dare make a motion until only a select few continued to circle overhead. There was only a few maybe four or five, and they showed not a single sign of leaving. It was as good as it was going to get, thought Vago. He got up and pulled the bar away from the door. Isra watched with a mix of surprise and anger, as if he had just said something unkind about her father. What do you think you are doing? Vago set the bar down without making a sound. I'm going to get up in the trees and I'm going to guide Cronus to us, assuming I can do that without dying. I'll help, said Althea standing. Vago considered this. Grab the hovercraft. It's noisy, but you can use it to bolt if things get dicey. Get behind the wheel, but don't start her up till I give the go-ahead. Once I do, drive north till you see Cronus. Yank him in and get back. And what happens when she leads those things right back here? asked Isra. Then we find out if this here shelter is fireproof. Viggo pulled the door open just enough for him and Althea to slip out. He scanned the skies and sprinted for the tree line while Althea ran for the hovercraft. Vego ran and scrambled up the side of a tree and found a perch among the growth of the dense foliage. It was quite dark now, but one of Saturn's icy moons, Rhea, hung to the east, half illuminated by the sun. It, along with two or three smaller moons, provided light similar to a full moon on Earth. It wasn't much, but he could just make out two Venganto flying along the north side of the camp, They were far enough away that Althea could get in and out before they had time to cover the distance. There was a chance, if they were lucky, they could extract Kronos without any of the flying bastards noticing. Vago pulled one of his guns. His track history for being right had been shaky as of late. He reached into his jacket pocket and found the small cache of Triple T capsules. Bad things were, afoot, and he needed to be sharp. He pulled one out, slid it between his teeth, and bit down. Spitting out the spent capsule in blood, he pulled up his sleeve. "'Kronos, are you there?' There was no response. "'Fair enough. I asked for that. You can talk now, but do it quietly.' "'Is it safe?' asked Kronos. Vego glanced up at the Venganto flying slow circles around the camp. "'As soon as I say go, you're going to run out the door and head south. Althea will pick you up en route. Got it?' "'I think so.' "'Good. Althea?' Althea's voice was shaky over the radio. I- I'm ready. Good. On my mark. Vego watched as the Venganto's constant lazy circle brought them out over the sea. It had to be now. Go! 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 The still silence of the night was pierced by the high-pitched whine of the hovercraft. At the same time, Kronos left the mess hall, crouching low through the camp. There was a moment of relief until he saw a movement in the trees, just a few meters away. A Venganto jumped into the air and started circling towards Kronos. Kronos, you got one on your tail. You gotta move. Move now, said Vego. Kronos jumped out of the crouch and started a mad sprint. No, no, that's west. Turn left, you idiot. The sudden change in direction caused Kronos to slip and scramble in the mud, but he got up and continued to run. Althea was on her way, but the creature was already too close. Vego aimed his gun and waited. The moment the Venganto dove behind Cronus. Vago fired a single shot. The crackle of gunfire caused the thing to lift out of its dive. Vego waited until it reached the top of its arc and fired again. It spun around in the air like he had hit it, but it recovered, picked up altitude, and fled north. He relaxed for a moment until he saw that crack of gunfire caught the attention of the two that had been flying over the sea. Vago, said Althea's voice on the radio. Behind you! Vago turned just in time to see yet another Venganto start its dive. He jumped off the top of the tree moments before it was engulfed in fire. The jump was awkward. He didn't have time to get his balance. He hit the ground hard and rolled in the mud. The wound in his side flared to life again and several bones voiced their dissatisfaction. He ended up on his back and glanced up to see something moving behind the flame and the smoke. Instinct and fear took over and he pulled his second gun and fired. He pulled the trigger again and again until the shadow shot straight up and he lost it in the dark. Vigo got to his feet just as Althea called again. Vigo, there's another one. It just flew over me and it's coming back around. Vigo ran south towards the sound of the hovercraft. He rounded a corner and saw Althea stop while Chrono struggled to jump into the passenger side. The Vinganto hovered several meters above the canopy, getting ready to start an attack. Vigo raised his guns and pulled the triggers. He had only the briefest of moments to curse his rash stupidity. In a blind panic, after he had nearly been killed, he forgot to count bullets. Althea hit the throttle on the left engine and used the thrust to slide the hovercraft back toward the armory. The Venganto started its dive. In the narrow path between the main camp and the armory, Vego's ability to maneuver was limited by the dome structures on either side. He sprinted as hard as he could for the trees. He replaced his spent guns into his holsters and pressed harder. His muscles burned, but his mind was sharp, sharper than it had been in a long time. He watched the Venganto, starting its descent just beyond the tree line, It would fry them both in an instant, and there wasn't much he could do to stop it. At least, nothing that wasn't totally insane. Bigot reached the nearest tree, pushed hard as the momentum carried him up the side. The light of Rhea shone through the leaves, along with a shadow moving just above him. He closed his eyes and raised his fist as he broke through the canopy. Even he was surprised when he made contact with something rough and metallic. Two glowing red eyes flashed in front of him, before it tumbled into the darkness of the forest below, and him along with it. ''Get in! Get in! Hurry!'' yelled Althea. Kronos jumped into the passenger's side and looked up. ''Althea! One coming in! On top of us! Must go! Must go!'' Althea gunned the left engine and spun the craft round so fast that they both had to hold tight to keep from being thrown from their seats. When they were facing in the direction of the armory, she opened the throttle as far as it would go. Kronos tried to catch his breath. ''Too close! Much too close!'' Althea focused on the path ahead. Where's Vago? Kronos turned and perched on his seat. He ran up the trees again. Althea, what are those flying things? That's a Venganto, avenging angels for the city, yelled Althea over the roar of the hovercraft. Vago just punched one in the face. Any more of them? asked Althea, ignoring that particular bit of information. Her psyche would need a less stressful time to deal with that image. Kronos spun around and sat down. Two more coming in. Two more, right behind us. Calm down, yelled Althea. Vego, Vego, we're almost there. Two more behind us. Kronos peeked over his shoulder. Uh, Althea, they are getting closer. Vego, Vego! screamed Althea. Isra's voice responded on the radio instead. I see them. Isra stood in the door of the armory and unloaded her assault rifle into the air. Althea jerked the controls to the left and killed the engine. The loader careened broadside toward the wall of the shelter. Off-world structures were built to handle 30 meter per second windstorms on Mars, 100 millimeter per hour torrential rainstorms on Europa, and, theoretically, even the fallout of a cryovolcano. Althea hoped they conducted a crash test as well. The hovercraft slammed into the side of the building, hard enough to leave a dent, and threw Althea into Cronus's lap. She picked herself up, pulled Cronus from his seat, and ran for the door. Isra reloaded as two Venganto got close to the shelter. She fired several rounds and caused one to veer off while the other made the mistake of pulling straight up. Isra aimed for the chest and fired until it tumbled into the trees. Althea pulled Kronos to the door and crouched for cover on the other side. Any more of them? asked Althea. Isra continued to scan the skies. Got one of them. One of the others fled. Cannot see any others. Where is Fago? I cannot see him. "'Oh, wait. There he is. And he is—' "'Oh, no,' said Isra. "'What's wrong? "'He is chasing one of those things from treetop to treetop. "'I think he means to catch the stupid thing.'" The last few minutes were a blur. When Vega opened his eyes, everything on the right side of his body hurt and his hand felt like he smashed it with a hammer. He rolled over and saw the light from Rhea reflecting off the Venganto, laying less than a meter away. It didn't stir, breathe, or do anything else that would make it appear alive. The eyes were still bright red points of light, and he could see now that they protruded several centimeters from the creature's face that was frozen in a snarl with long incisors bared. Viggo rolled over and grabbed the creature's wing. It was hard and smooth, not like flesh, sinew, or bone. It was cool and artificial, like plastic or some polycarbonate alloy. He sat up to get a better look. For a moment, the creature just lay there, staring at him with those glowing red eyes. Then, as if the Venganto had come to as well, it twisted its limb away, rolled to its feet, and started running through the trees, back towards the camp. Its wings swept behind it like a bird, but every other way it moved was human, if not awkward. The way it stood up and ran was not smooth or natural, but looked like a person trying to work around a cumbersome piece of equipment. Vago groaned as he got to his feet and stumbled in the direction the thing ran. The Venganto ran past the last of the trees, entered the clearing, and spread its wings. Vago sprinted forward, jumped, grabbed it by the midsection, and tackled it before it could get off the ground. The creature turned in his grip, kicked and beat him with its wings, but he just tightened his grip. The creature's struggles became faster and more desperate. It continued to kick, twist and buck vigo's hand slipped and found a strange protrusion just behind the head the creature twisted again and vigo pulled there was a soft click followed by a whoosh of air and vigo pulled something away from the venganto's face he held it up for a split second in the moonlight the creature's face was still frozen like a snarl except there was no head behind it vigo realized he held some kind of sophisticated mask below him he could make out bright blue eyes in the moonlight and a feminine face staring at him in terror. Before Vego could process this information, the vinganto pulled a leg free and kicked. The blow connected hard with a particularly tender bit of Vego's anatomy. The world swirled into a personal universe of pain. He curled up to lay in the mud, only aware of his own exquisite agony and screaming. Excitement, physical activity, and pleasure all release endorphins. So does pain. It's why they are so closely linked in the human mind. Vago managed to keep control of himself up to this point. The Triple T never even got close to overwhelming his brain. Just the opposite. It made him clearer and sharper. The world slowed down to give him time to respond. Triple T gave him an edge, so long as he could control the rage. Unfortunately, he never factored a minor testicular injury into the equation. When Vago's world came back into focus, the pain was gone. The biting cold of Titan was gone. Even the sound of the wind blowing through the trees and the perpetual stench of petroleum and ammonia were gone. His attention condensed into the silhouette of the Venganto flapping its... her wings in the moonlight. Vago sprang up and ran toward her with a single-minded intensity. She flapped her wings and caught sky just as Vago closed in. He ran up the side of one of the small domed shelters and jumped. He got a grip on the Venganto's ankle and pulled them both back down to the ground. They fell face-first into the mud and rolled several meters. Vago lifted his head, spitting dirt, and tried to pull his prey closer. She spun around and tried to kick him with her free leg. At first, Vago tried to get control of the other leg, but a strong, solid boot caught him along the side of the face, and he lost his grip. Then, an instant later, the Vinganto reared back and kicked with both feet. The blow caught Vago under the chin and sent him sprawling backward. He blacked out for a moment and, when he came to, sat up and spat out some more mud and a little blood. The Venganto was already in the air and gaining altitude quickly. Vago's world was wobbly, but he was still oblivious to any pain. He jumped to his feet and started sprinting again. This time he ran back along the forest and scrambled up a tree to the canopy. Once at the top, he took a flying leap and landed on a branch. The momentum carried him further. He jumped from one tree to another using his inertia each time until his strides carried him across the treetops. His mind focused on nothing but the flapping wings just ahead. The flying bastard hadn't picked up a lot of altitude yet. Vega could reach her if he got within range. He lengthened his stride. He got close to the Venganto, and, a moment later, he kept pace with her. The line of trees came to an end ahead, so he put extra force into his last strides. When there was nothing left to jump to... Figo threw his body out as far as he could and reached out to grab her before she was out of his reach. Even in the heat of the rage, he realized two things. First, he couldn't jump far enough to grab the Venganto. His hand brushed along her leg as she flew by, but there was nothing to grip. The second thing he noticed was why there was no tree ahead. The white crescent of Rhea reflected in the sub-zero water below him. Somewhere in the distance, there was a voice like the sweetest angel calling his name before he splashed into the sea. Althea gunned the engine of the hovercraft. What's he doing now? Esau watched the electronic binoculars. The fool is still chasing the stupid thing. He is going to fall into the Legia Mar if he keeps going like he is. Althea caught a glimpse of both figures in the dim light. She pushed the hovercraft harder as Vago got closer to his victim. Althea muttered to herself, Don't do it. Don't do what I think you're going to do. He is going for it, said Isra. Althea's hand hurt as she tried to twist the throttle past its mechanical limits, and she shouted out loud, No! Vago! Don't! Vago lunged forward to grab the Venganto, missed, and fell into the Lagia Mar. Althea pushed all her weight into the throttle, but it still wouldn't go any faster. Isra lowered the binoculars. We have to hurry. That water-ammonia combination on this planet is well below freezing. He will not last long out there. Althea clenched her teeth. The aerosuit medical regulator will keep him alive for a few minutes. At that temperature, it was closer to a few seconds, but Althea pushed that thought from her mind. She slowed the hovercraft over the water and stood up in the seat. Her head turned in every direction in a frantic attempt to see anything in the black water. I can't see him. It's too dark. Isra stood up and looked at the sea through the night vision on her rifle. He is over there. Althea, get close. I will use the arm to pull him out. Althea circled the hovercraft around the body, and Isra lowered the grabbing arm. It wrapped around Vago's leg, and Isra shifted the controls to pull him out of the water. Althea reached out to help him into the hovercraft. The water-ammonia solution was so cold that just touching Vago's wet clothes felt like needles pressing into her hands. When they laid him across the back seats, his whole body started shaking so hard it looked like a seizure. Althea put her hand on his forehead. Corpses weren't that cold. Vago! Vago, can you hear me? yelled Althea. Al-Al-Althea, said Vago, in between chattering teeth. Vago, stay with me! They-they're-they're human, Althea. V-V-Vanganto. H- human. Isra scrambled to the controls while Althea tried to keep Vego focused on her. It's okay, Vego. It's going to be okay. Just try not to go to sleep. Vego shook harder. H- H- human. They, just. Then he closed his eyes. Isra yelled over the rising whine of the hovercraft engines. How is he? Althea shouted back. I think he's going into shock. We need to get him medical attention fast. You have been listening to The Ruins of Empire, Saturnius Mons, the first book of the Ruins of Empire project. The Ruins of Empire podcast was written by Jeremy L. Jones and produced by Sean Vincent. Cover art was by Nick Martin. Music was broken reality by Kevin McLeod at incompetech.com Licensed under Creative Commons 3.0 License.